Welcome to the Hairdryer Treatment Podcast, powered by Kevin Grogan Soccer, Soccer Coffee and much more. Welcome to the show this week, delighted to have Sean Kenny back on. We're going to talk about the demise of the Development Academy here in America. It was announced this week that it'll no longer function or exist. We're also going to talk about growing up in Dublin and playing travel soccer over there as well. So after the break, we have a show with Sean Kenny. The Hairdryer Treatment Podcast is proudly sponsored by Rezzle. Rezzle is the market-leading, academically validated VR training and cognitive development tool for elite football and is already installed at world-leading clubs. Rezzle.com Sean, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Kevin. How are you? I'm good. I've been a bit all over the place today. I'm sitting down here and thinking how busy I busy I was today but I couldn't tell you anything I did I just, sure, just one of them days you know <laughs> busy moving from the bed to the couch yeah that was that was a big move <laughs> uh, you have to mentally get prepared for it. it is crazy though like just little things like you do you, you think are great and then you realize well that wasn't too great was it like <laughs> yeah yeah no I, I I took the dog out for a walk and I saw a little traffic on the I cross over a bridge over the highway and I saw a little traffic like building up and I'm like wow I, I take that any day of the week right now. I'm sitting in traffic. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> are dogs, I would, crazy question, but are dogs exposed to corona or pets? I presume they may I, be. I read where, you know, if if you pet the dog and you have corona, and then I all of a sudden pet the dog, then I'll get corona. Wow. But, uh, I don't know if the actual dog himself can get it. I hope not. You've, all, you've always had dogs, right? You're a big dog fan? Yeah, yeah. German Shepherds, that's... Uh, Thanks to my wife, you know, her family are German Shepherds and I kind of, this is our third guy now since I've been married. So, yeah, wow. I'm, I'm a German Shepherd guy. And I'm not really, I'm not a big dog guy, believe it or not. You know, I just, I just like my own dog. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I'd love a dog actually, but I, I live in a, in New York City in a shoebox. So I don't know if. Uh, yeah, it's hard. It's it'd hard. be hard, you know. Yeah, but yeah. Maybe when I grow up, I'll get one. Um, <laughs> so Sean um, we want to talk about um, you know Ireland and the kind of travel uh, culture over there we call it schoolboy football and all that kind of stuff but before we go into that I mean we have to talk about the development academy in America here we talked talked about it a couple of weeks ago on the pod but um, there's been massive news this week that it's been completely cancelled and it's finished for good I mean lots to talk about regarding that but what's your initial thoughts I think it's a total shock to the soccer community. You know, I'm on the inside a little bit, and I kind of knew it was coming down the pipe. But uh, when it came, it hit hard. And, and I kind of refer it to, you know, I'm on Twitter every day. You're looking at the coronavirus updates, and you're, you're dying for something good. And I think it's the same in the soccer world. You go online, and you, oh, you hear Bayern Munich are back training, and that you feel a little bit better. Or Serie A might be starting next month, and you feel a little bit better. And then for this to come along and say, no, not, not only is the Development Academy not going to happen in the spring, it's not going to happen ever again. And that was a, that's a tough pill to swallow for the thousands of players that are involved in that league. Now, the initial thing, because I've been inundated with parents contacting me about this, um, and you know how kind of soccer parents are over here, but the, you know a lot of 
kids have say moved local travel clubs and gone to the DA and or people aspire to be there or people you know are, are justifiably there but like they don't know what the next step is or what maybe why this happened so let's start with the why what why did it happen was it a money issue or was it a corona issue was was corona used maybe to kind of make an announcement because it was just kind of convenient for them i would agree with that that corona was used it's a multitude of things the, the fact that they're involved with a lawsuit with the women's national team the fact that uh the women's academy didn't work out because the better teams didn't join up because they stayed where they were. And then the fact that they were spending, uh, not thousands, millions of dollars on the current academy. And plus then at the end of the day, the MLS teams wanted, I think, to break away a little bit and do their own thing. They felt maybe the other academy teams weren't up to par with them and they weren't getting anything out of it. So... A multitude of things. And then there's huge turnover in the Federation right now. And there's people coming and going and getting fired and new hires. And uh, it's just a combination of everything. And it's gone. So I don't know, now, the, I don't know the true reason why it's gone, but it's gone. <laughs> I always say, like, it's, easy, it's human nature and it's easy for us all to kind of, you know, say, oh, the, the American soccer is a shambles, USSF are a shambles. And, you know, you get it in Ireland as well. But, I mean... In defense of the USSF for a second, it's a hard job with youth soccer because of the size of the country. We talked about that before. Like, it's not as easy as people think. This is a hard thing to do. Like, like America is such a big country, isn't it? That's its problem. I mean, look at the FAI back home, Kevin, and multiply that by a hundred, maybe a thousand. And that's the USSF, you know. So as as hard as a job it is in a small country, it's a nightmare in a, in a country such as the United States. And it's the same back home in the FAI. I mean, there was all that kind of controversy with uh, the chief executive and different things like that. And, and there was a lot of bad things going on. But I used to always say, like, there's a, there was a lot of great things going on. Wasn't there grassroots and ground level as well that people forget about? Absolutely. And the same here. It's, you know, it's yeah, the same exactly. all over the world. The bad news tends to get the headlines. You know, the, nobody talks about the... The guy's doing all the work behind the scenes for the good of the game. It just uh, that one little thing will set things off. Yeah, absolutely. So what what now? So so let's put ourselves in the shoe of a family, say, that have made a lot of sacrifices, have left their local team, have gone to that DA club and you know they've invested into traveling and getting there and this was kind of they felt their big opportunity to maybe showcase themselves for pro or for college. What do they do now? Where do they go? Because they're they're all not going to be able to play in an MLS academy, and there's lots of academies out there that aren't attached to an MLS club. Yeah, I I don't really know. I'm sure that the pandemic allows time to kind of to give us a chance to think about it. Um, I know in this region, in the Northeast region, in the New York area, uh, ten non MLS academy teams have banded together and said that they will continue as is. Um, I know that's okay. that's the big plan while the MLS goes off and does its own thing. So, you know, if you look at it, the MLS is kind of the premiership and then this Northeast, whatever you want to call it, league will be the, the next tier down. So, so that would be Gachi and yeah, uh, New York Soccer Club. Correct. But I think, I just, uh, you know, a word of warning to those clubs, uh, th- their saving grace was that they were an academy. If they can't say that anymore, it gives teams like, your own club and my club a little, uh, you know, a little, 
equal pairing kind of thing, you know, where we're on equal standing now, where we, none of us are in the academy except for the MLS clubs. Yeah, because a big, a big selling point, as you said, was like, well, we're an academy club and we're going to play Red Bulls next week or we're going to play Philly Union or we're going to play NYCFC. They don't have that now, so the glamour is kind of exactly. gone from that. Exactly, yeah. I, I don't know uh, how they can overcome that. But uh, th- those clubs are, you know, all the clubs you mentioned there are still very big clubs that have great yeah. tradition and, you know, have put players in the pros and they'll continue that. They will go on. Yeah, yeah, they're good, good clubs, good people, producing players. Yeah, it's it's been a crazy week, and it's funny. A lot of people kind of talk me. Well, you know, let's set up a new league, and like you know, outside of what you mentioned there, just like you know, people contacting me. Do we want to start a business and set up a league and market it this way and so on? And you know, I love people's enthusiasm, but it kind of feeds to the problem a bit in the sense of that's probably an issue in America. Everything is a business and everything is marketed and no one really knows what's real and what's good and what's bad. Not something I'd personally want to get into from a business point of view. It's tough. You'd love a magic wand where you could just wave your magic wand and, and all of a sudden you have a division one, a division two, a division three. You take my area and within like a 20 minute radius, we have ourselves, the Westchester Flames playing one league up the road, we have White Plains Premier. They play in a different league. Uh, New York Soccer Club, FC Westchester, we're the old DA. So of all those teams, here we are within 10, 15 minutes of each other. And we don't play each other because we're all in yeah. different leagues. And it's, that's wrong. That's, that's so wrong. And all, the, all those leagues, just for the you know, listeners outside of America, most of those leagues are privately owned, run businesses. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It's all about the money. Yeah, which is it's all about. It's yeah. all about. It's all about the money. And, and another issue in America is the travel times have got more and more crazy. So what you're mentioning there is actually a good thing in sense. Why don't all these clubs in these regions come together and play against each other? Because the quality is there, and you don't have to travel. I, I think, and here's a, a good thing from the coronavirus thing that people will start to travel less and and look for that, look yeah. for that more local thing. And I think that might be a good thing. And we're lucky. We're lucky that we're in the New York area where we don't have to travel so far and we can play, you know, 10 or 12 great clubs within that area. It's, it, you're not so lucky if you live in the middle of New Hampshire or Vermont or somewhere, but uh, we're lucky in this area. I traveled once up, to, I think it was all the way mass, up the back end of Connecticut, I think it was, for a game for Clarkstown, and I worked it out. By the time, you know, I live in the city, by the time I got up there, played and got back i could have got back to ireland to visit yeah, my family quicker yeah. it's crazy well imagine that kid in, in the development academy he's playing new york and all of a sudden he's playing uh, in dc maybe and he sits on the yeah. bench or he gets five minutes so he drives four or five hours to the game he plays five or ten minutes and he drives four or five hours home that's that's not fun <laughs> No, and, and the other thing, it comes back to what we talked about before, is like the reality is all these kids need to be playing every week. That's how they're going to get better. And w- regardless of the uh, kind of the league or whatever, for me, the most important thing is play every week, have a decent coach. And if you're good enough, you're going to get opportunities because your coach will help you in terms of contacts or scouts will come and watch you, whether it's you know college or whatever. Like I mean, y- you don't always have to jump ship and go to what you perceive as the next level, unless it's, as you say, the Red Bulls or the NYCFCs. That's totally different. Yeah, I, the academy was a big draw. That word academy was a huge draw yeah. for parents, you know. But I think now that they're able to sit back and kind of observe all the teams and then they can pick and choose as to 
the right one, whether it's based on facilities or coaching or, you know, how, however good or bad the team is, that, that they should make the decision based on those things. And the women got a big payout. They, they went uh, in terms of equal pay. Do you have any kind of thoughts on that? Ah, look, I, <laughs> I, that's part of the problem <laughs> that the DA went under, I think. I think the money thing was a huge part of the Federation's decision. So I'm sure, you know, the behind the scenes thing, it was easy to, to pull the plug and save a few dollars by getting rid of the academy. Yeah, no, I agree. I obviously, you know, agree with equal pay and things like that. But when I, from my opinion, just looking at it from a business point of view, equal pay is equal percentage of what comes in. Because, you know, it's very hard to say equal pay if the money doesn't come in. And unfortunately, um, although the women are absolutely fantastic at playing, they don't get the gate receipts. They, you know, don't necessarily get the sponsorship. They don't get the TV um you know, viewership that say the men do, I, you know, that's not a, a woman or man's thing. That's, that's just reality of it. And maybe we're all to blame like me and, and plenty of kind of female players that I know that maybe wouldn't go and watch games or buy that ticket and create that revenue for them. So equal percentage of what comes in, of course, but it's very hard to say, well, if, if a male USA national team player gets X amount from playing in a world cup, the women get the same as that when the men's, it's just reality, the men's World Cup generates way more money through all the things I mentioned in relation to the women's. So it's it's a more of a complex issue, I think I'm trying to say, than maybe some people make it, it out is. to be. And part, the, the problem, and it's probably only in this country, is that our women's national team here are hugely successful and have no yeah. problem filling stadiums and they you know go to the world cup every time it's on and and win it more often than not so that's they've probably generated a lot of money and and the federation's being a little unfair if you're not kind of divvying out that money to the women the way you do the men so i'm sure that's the reason for the lawsuit yeah. more than you know the the pro league or whatever or the average player yeah yeah they just they just want what you know a piece of what they've brought Correct. in basically yeah. yeah but it is and just to finish up on this kind of point i mean it is kind of sad with the women because i i know some uh, female players who are absolutely brilliant uh, michaela howell she was on the show before former england international salma Tariq, egyptian international like these like i like both have played for the shamrocks i would literally get up on a sunday morning to go down and watch them to play um, they're that good, yet they kind of fell out of the professional system because they couldn't make money out of it. Like they had to go and coach soccer for youth soccer, which is fine, but the level of ability was unbelievable. But they couldn't make a career out of it. That's the sad side of women's well, it soccer. Is, you know? Unless you're, you know, a women's national team player, I don't think you're going to make, you know, a great living playing professionally in this country or any country, probably. You know, yeah. the money's just not in the game. So I'm sure that's what they're fighting for as well. Yeah, it's very interesting. It's 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 kind of like a crazy time, but we'll see we'll see how it pans out. But moving on to Ireland, and I know a lot of people are interested in this, and particularly some American parents I've talked to. What's our system like in Ireland? And we've touched on it a bit before, but to go into more detail, so we call it schoolboy football, which is the same thing as travel, and we're both from Dublin, the capital. Um, now there's good teams all across the country but Dublin has a lot of strong uh, teams historically like Belvedere Home Farm, Stella, Cherry Orchard and so on um, 
You, were you Stella? I was a Stella Maris guy, yeah, yeah. And our biggest rival was Home Firm. So, um, yeah, you know, we, we had some some good games in the past. But uh, while we were a small club, Home Firm were a huge club compared to us at the time. I'm not, I'm not so much in the loop these days. I know there's a lot of other clubs that weren't so famous when I was a kid are kind of getting pretty famous right now. In the in the in the in Ireland or the Dublin area, yeah, and kind of like to paint the picture for the parents and the kids of, you know, I remember vividly kind of that Friday evening, and you'd be so excited that your game was the next day, and you know, I played for Belvo, I played for Seagrange locally in in Baldoyle, and then I played for Belvoir. I had a coach in both clubs, and they'd pick me up and they'd drop me home, and you'd go into a little dingy yeah. <laughs> shed to get changed and you'd, you'd pay a pound which is basically a dollar a week um, subs and that would pay for the ref or to wash the jerseys and it, it was there was something very mad about it but very nah, nice about it and oh, two yeah. memories of and that you loved it you loved it you know and the weather yeah. and the pitches were terrible uh, you know so but uh, look it, it, it's changed I'm sure it's changed but back then I and I say it to my own kids, they can't understand it. That's all we had. That's all we We didn't know yeah. anything else. You know, there was no Xbox or staying home. And, and this was your outlet. And this was, a, you know, it, this was your love. And, and you did it not for the money. Coaches didn't get paid. Nobody got paid. Parents couldn't afford it. But yeah. you did it. And uh, yeah. now it was good times. A much, a much simpler kind of time. I don't, I, I don't yeah, think it was. it's and like the... that now. I can't imagine that. No, it's very different. It's very different now. But the, going on the pitches there, you're saying some of the pitches were awful. But I stand by this, that that personally, that helped me with my touch and my passing and my concentration levels. Because some of these pitches, they were all grass pitches, no such thing as a turf pitch back then. And um, you yeah, had to learn how to cope with the surroundings and the environment. And that surely was a yeah, good part of the development. Yeah, I remember years ago when I first started coaching, and I, I, I can't remember his name. He wrote an article. He, he went to Brazil. He was an English guy that went to Brazil to study how Brazilians play. And the first thing when he came back was, he, I now I know why Brazilians are so good at football. It's because the pitches are horrendous, you know, because they were bumpy yeah, and yeah. hard. And, you know, and he just said, no, their touch is immaculate because of that. So, yeah, yeah. That made, I think kids today are I'm, a little spoiled. Yeah, we, we, we play predominantly on turf over here. And, I mean, it's, it, it doesn't really do them any good in the long term in terms of uh, developing their touch. It's just too perfect at too young an age, I feel. Um, and, and then, you know, I remember, like, the famous fields, like, I mean, you'd go to Belvedere, would be Fairview Park, Cherry Orchard, the lawns. I mean, that was an intimidating place oh, up yeah, in Cherry Orchard. Yeah. I remember going I remember going the up pitch there. in the middle of the Ballymun Flats, you know, where you had, you know, these yeah, huge buildings there. surrounding the whole pitch and uh, very, very intimidating. But that was part of it, right? It kind of, of twisted us did. up. And... Of course it did, yeah, absolutely. And then, so we had what we would call the DDSL, the Dublin District Schoolboy League. Um, a lot of players from that league would end up on the kind of, say, U15 international team. That's kind of where a lot of them came from and across the country, obviously. But it was a very simple pathway. Here's a complex pathway we've talked about. It was a lot e not easier, but it was a simpler pathway. You played in the top league in Dublin, for example. 
scouts from all the clubs in England would generally come and watch the games. The Ireland manager would come and watch. And, and if you were good enough, you'd, more times than not, you'd get a chance yeah, well, to some players, degree. Look, they, tr- they try to mimic that a little bit uh, today here with the academy. And, you know, all the better players ended up in Ireland on the better teams in the best league. That's how it worked. It, I mean, I, I've heard stories of fellas traveling up from Cork, from Limerick to Dublin, because they knew this was where they had to be to get showcased. So in a, in a, in a, in a, in a more complicated way, the academy tried to mimic that and take all the best players in America to go play against each other and play on better teams and get better coaching. And that's how it was. Those You can go back probably 50, 60 years ago in Ireland that that's how it was without even knowing what they were doing. They were creating that, that they had a top league and the top players yeah. went to the top league automatically. Yeah, I started, as I said, I started locally in Baldoyle. And then I remember playing for my school and John Moore was the coach and um, John Moore be a well-known yeah. kind of figure in Ireland in the, the media and things like that. And I remember John kind of coming to me and saying, you know what, like you, uh, Seagrange in Baldoyle, they were in the Brentford League, which would be like, a, I don't know, maybe like an EDP level in comparison to a DA level. And, you know, John said, maybe I should make the step up. And the first name that came into my head was, well, what about Home Farm? Because Home Farm, as you rightly said, was kind of the big name at the time. And John was affiliated with Belvedere. So we said, well, come down to Belvedere, you know, you'll enjoy that. And I remember remember going down the first day for a trial and I was just blown away by the standard. It was just like next level stuff. Like, and um, Wes Houlihan was on my team and a, a little story about him. I was in the change room getting ready for to go out to the trial and there was this tiny little kid there that I was like, there's no way he's the same age as us. He must be someone's younger brother. And our coach, Jerry Fitz, said to this kid, will you look after Kevin? So he brought me onto the field and he was tiny. Like he looked about three or four years younger than us and the trial started and he was playing. I said, strange, that little kid is playing. And he got the and he got the ball and yeah, like, no one could magician. touch him. No one could touch him. And yeah. that was... He was a magician. He uh, for the American listeners, Wes Hulham went on to be um, an Irish international, had a great career in England. And for me, one of one of the great technical footballers, the last street footballer That's we true. probably ever produced. That's true. I think probably him and Andy Reid are the two guys you'd put together. That you know, yeah, yeah, very true. Andy was great. Andy was with me in the U16 Irish team and won the European Championship. And I would have grown. He was actually a Cherry Orchard player. So we would have played him every season. And um, oh, when he got the ball at like U14, U15, he was a magician on the wing as well. Like it, and, and it's great, isn't it? I'm sure you have a lot of stories and players that you've seen at, at 12, 13, 14, 15 that kind of stood out and maybe went on to play League of Ireland or yeah, professional in England. I mean, there's, and there's hundreds of players that stood out and didn't do that and never made it for whatever reason, yeah. you know. So, uh, yeah, I, I mean, you and I could probably list hundreds of players that went on and did great things. And that's... Uh, your brother, your brother was one, obviously, going to, as we mentioned, going to Liverpool. Yeah, did he stand yeah, out as a kid? on the... That famous home farm team that, I don't know, they broke all kinds of Guinness Book of Records where they went on unbeaten for five years or something. And uh, every single one of those players was either was either playing for Ireland or heading over to England or they all kind of did okay. And he was, you know, without boasting, he was the best player on that team. 
You know, so he, yeah, that was yeah. one of the reasons I guess he went to Liverpool. And your other brother was a, a did had a great career with Shamrock Rovers. A right was back, he centre back? Yeah, yeah. Harry? He played on that famous right uh, three time. What did they win the triple three times in a row? He did the, He was on the famous Shamrock Rovers three in a row team. So yeah, he did okay too. So it kind of leads us into the question in Ireland, um, and it's kind of relevant to kind of what's happening here with the DA. And we briefly talked about this. These clubs we're talking about, the Belvos, Home Farms, Cherry Orchards, Stellas, they now, they were producing a lot of players over the years. And now the academy is coming in in Ireland as we speak. And it, in particular, it was at the older ages, but now, it's, as we said before, it's coming in at U12, U13. So a lot of these clubs now are just really going to be a U8 to U12 club that feeds in players. Um, again, the intent is good, correct? But I is it the it right is. thing? I, you know, look at the academy yeah. here, or, or was, you know, the Red Bull, the NYCFC. They're, they're brand new. Gotcha, you've been around for years. You know, FC Westchester, you've been around for years. You're, you're still going to be producing players. But the, the only problem is now, and I'm sure it's the same in Dublin, whether I'm a St. Kevin's, but Bohemians are getting the credit for the player. Uh, you got to kind of give the credit where yeah. it's due. And if that kid, you know, the, uh, what, Gio Reina, he, you know, he's at, where is he, Bruce at Dortmouth. And he said, oh, well, he came out of NYCFC. Yeah. yeah, but he played for a New York soccer club before that. You know, so you got to give them <laughs> yeah, a exactly. credit there. And part of the issue there, Sean, as well, is this whole training compensation thing. Because in America, there's no training compensation because of child labor laws. But when you look into Dublin and Ireland, like Bell, all these clubs, Belver Home Farm that we mentioned, when they develop a player for a certain amount of years and that player moves to England to a pro club, they get money for the, the compensated for educating and training that player. And if that player moves on to another club, they get another windfall as well so all that money comes to these clubs that gets pumped back into the clubs hence why a lot of these clubs have good facilities now and good coaches and so on like that's a bit of an issue here as well because you know if a, if a West FC Westchester or Westchester Flames or Clarkstown whoever it might be if we develop a player from 8 to 14 and push them on to a Red Bulls that's a job well done no, but there's no compensation uh, for us that's a huge flaw um, I, I know they're working on it and it, again the bigger clubs will get away with it and they just keep poaching players but uh, it, that has to be addressed um, it's slowly being addressed in Ireland I just wish it was addressed more here and it would give you know a kind of a boost for a, a local club to, to develop a player uh, and that's that's your reward hey here's whatever 100 grand and 100 grand will go a long way in a club like Clarkstown or Westchester Flames so, yeah, there should be some yeah. type of comp yeah. compensation. Absolutely. And then in terms of yourself growing up and playing like at these levels, you know, we talked about the buzz and looking forward to the weekends. Like, how did that look for you? Can, <laughs> you, can you remember that far back, Sean? <laughs> but, but the weekends and you must, like as a kid, was, just the feeling was unbelievable, and, wasn't it? And like we said, it's all, it's all you had and it's what you looked forward to, you know, and it, it's like being a supporter, you know, you, you work all week just waiting for that game on the weekend. I, I don't know if kids today have that, you know, have that 
this is all I have. This is what I'm looking forward to. I go training on a Tuesday and Thursday, and I can't wait for Saturday or Sunday to roll around to get out and play. Um, I used to, I used to eat. The problem is that well, the parents are yeah, pushing them. Yeah, and I think uh, they're coddled a little bit, you know. So um, it's uh, you know, I tell stories to my own kid where I was playing U15, U16. I had to take I had to take a bus into the city because we lived a little bit outside of the city. So the bus into the city and then a bus out to where we had to train. And then I had to walk like nearly two miles just to, to get to training. And that was just normal. You yeah. know, and that, that was, you, you didn't get home yeah, that was normal. until 10, 11 o'clock at night. And that was pretty normal. And your parents weren't driving you. And we, you know, I had a large family. My father didn't have the time. And then they never rarely came to the game on the weekends. You know, they did. So I think, yeah. you know, <laughs> There's the stories of the parental involvement here, and, and I'm, a, I'm a sucker too because I did it with my own kids, you know, made it as easy as you possibly can for them. But uh, imagine you're a kid in Clarkstown and you're, you've got an away game in Queens or somewhere, and you're saying to your parents, listen, I'm heading to Queens, I'm heading off on the bus. You know, they, that would never happen. That would never happen. Yeah. Well, I remember my father, I mean, I signed full time for Manchester United yeah. at fifteen. I think my dad yeah. had seen me play twice, yeah. and he yeah. and he thought I was <laughs> thought I was brutal. Well, that's that's your Irish <laughs> upbringing. You're never told you're good, so yeah. <laughs> no, which was a good thing. The, the, like, the coaches never said you were good. Teachers never said you were good at school, and your parents never said you were good at anything. No, so I think that. And if you got taken off, or you were a sub. And you came back and told your parents. The first thing was, "Well, what did you do wrong? That's your yeah. fault." It's a bit different now, isn't it? Yeah, the difference is now that if you got taken off, that parent would run straight over to the coach at the end of the game, wanting to know why you yeah. took him off. It's funny because when I first started coaching over here, I was a bit bit uh, green, as they say, and I was a bit stubborn. And I remember one parent asking, "Why did you take my son off?" Yeah. I said, "Because he's yeah. brutal." And it yeah. didn't go down too well. No. I learned, learned the hard way. Everybody gets diplomatic a here. Everybody's uh, great. Yeah. Yeah. But they were, they were great days, obviously, you know. And listen, don't get me wrong. There's, there's lots of great things. Obviously, things have, have evolved now and pitches are better and coaches are better. And that's all positive things, right? We're, we're not saying our time was great and now it was awful. It's, it's yeah, definitely evolved yeah, in a positive with way. With fields, locker rooms. Uh, you know, coaching is better. Uh, the refereeing is better. Everything's better. Uh, I don't know if you're producing better players because you are. No, you are. I can't say that. Uh, everything, everything is better. But are we over coaching uh, kids now a tiny bit? Sometimes? Some coaches are definitely. You know, sometimes uh, you read too much into coaching, and, and coaches, especially those guys that do their licensing or come up through the federation with their license. They want to show everything they've learned in one session, you know, and, and they can't kind of rope it in and understand to, to let the kids play a little bit. Um, but that, that comes with experience and that comes yeah. with uh, your knowledge of the game as you get older, I think. Yeah. Cause even I remember, you know, the first couple of years as a youth player in Manchester United, it it was very hard and tough, obviously, because of the standard of everyone. But it was the the, the instruction was basic enough. It, it was we must work harder than every single team we play, and um, pass the ball forward, 
and make sure you go out and express yourself. Like th- those were the three kind of principles, as simple as they saying, but three yeah, things but that kind of were very important. Kevin, you know, a big difference between playing as a 15 year old with Manchester United and playing as a 15 year old with the Westchester Flames. So the, the, the education you were getting was in the playing. You probably didn't even know it at the time, but just by being around good players and having to play with them every day, yeah. that's, that's your coaching right there. And the other thing I noticed, and this was similar to kind of growing up in Dublin playing, it was even in a training session, same in England, it was very cutthroat. Like you, you wouldn't hold back in training. Like maybe that's a bit lost now in youth soccer where people are maybe a bit too nice in training. Our mentality was, well, we have to kick each other harder. We have to work harder. We have to, this has to be more physical because one, we're trying to get one over each other in some ways and trying to make it. But two, we want to prepare ourselves for the weekend game. It, it, that doesn't really happen now in youth soccer. People are maybe because these well, like, in a training session, you know, everyone's a bit too old, nice to uh, each other. I'm going to play. So I'm training on Tuesday. I'm going to play. You're, when you're training years ago, maybe you weren't going to play. And you, you had a squad of 14, 15 players. And that 15th man, he ain't playing. You know, whereas here, no, that 15th man today is going yeah. to play. So he kind of knows that a little bit. And there, there's not so much pressure on players. Absolutely. Now, did you have, uh, like me, did you have hand-me-downs? Were you wearing boots well, from your I brothers or hands them down to brothers? Or So I, I got first dibs on everything. Okay. <laughs> but as, yeah, I'm sure the, the younger, as they went down, they got all the hand-me-downs. But look, that, that's the way you grew up. You thought that was, you just thought that was normal. So I, th- I don't think anybody had a problem with that. Yeah. And then kind of, Two last kind of things, Sean. Um, one, coaches in Ireland growing up, and I, I think it was the same here, correct me if I'm wrong, but they were all volunteers. Now it's obviously paid coaches. Um, you know, where, where do you stand with that? Like, it's good to pay people and get more professionals in, but also there was something nice yeah, about the was. kind of volunteer yeah. era um, as well. Look, if a coach knows the stuff, I have no problem with him getting the money. That's I don't have a problem with that whatsoever. If he, if he's not yeah. a good coach and he's getting the big money, I have a huge problem with that. But that's that's life, Kevin. That's every business. Yeah. There's going to be fellows who are good at it and fellows who are not so good at it, and they're both making the same kind of money, you know. So it's uh, the, the volunteer yeah. coach is gone now. It's gone for good. He he he'll work at the local youth level, or he'll work in. ASO or, you know, Division 4 of his local league. But after a while, for, to, to push our players forward and to generate professional soccer players in any country, they, the, the coaching has to be better. And I'm a huge proponent of coaching education. So, uh, you know, we, we need better coaches and the only way they can get better is through education. Now, when you talk about their coach education, obviously the obvious one is doing your coaching badges and so on. Um, I've kind of, I have a feeling on kind of organized formal education, should we say. There's good parts of it and there's bad parts. Um, I feel that some courses are globally, like they're very robotic and some of the things they teach coaches aren't necessarily relevant to what you're trying to do in terms of development and production. Um but there are a lot of good things as well. Like, where do you stand with coaching licenses? And the second part of that is, 
there's obviously a lot of other ways on top of that that you can learn from observation, from it's a online and, everything. and so on. There are, there's plenty of smart people out there and even referees where they'll go take a course and they can swallow the book and spit it right back at you at the end of the, at the, end of the course. And it doesn't mean, you know, that you know the game yep. just because I have my A license and I was able to word for word tell you what, what, what you're supposed to know. And uh, it doesn't mean, you know, I, I think it's everything. I think you, if you get educated, you'll pick some stuff up. If you've played the game, you'll have picked some stuff up. If you've been around other coaches and observed them, you'll pick some stuff up. And look, I'm a 60-year-old coach, and, and I'm still learning. The younger guys in our club, I, I love watching their sessions and picking little things up, and everybody's a little different. And, and it's the beauty of America, isn't it, that we have fellas from – all over the world, and this is how, you know, this Brazilian guy does it, this is how this English guy does it, and it's so different, yet it's the same game. So there's lots to learn, and uh, just keep keep doing it, keep doing it. Yeah, and that's, that's a great out there. The, the message is you never stop learning in soccer, no matter what level you're at. So, um, Sean, Pleasure, thanks Kevin. very much for coming on the show. That was brilliant. Thank a really you good very piece. Much. Thank you. Um, have, have a great weekend.